hello. There we go. You know, you've got to go with it a bit. Be playful. You know, God's actually funny. He made me. <laughs> Easy for you to laugh. Look at yourself. You're a joke. <laughs> That's very rude. You are. You're funnier than you think. Funnier than you feel. So we're going to encourage ourselves today. How does God like take people like us and make us into something? How do we stop telling God what we can't do? How do we stop whining? Anybody whine here? You get tired of your own voice, and other people probably get tired of it too. You don't understand. If you were me, if you could see them when I see them, party after party with black balloons. Welcome to Nibiru. Well, it's not meant to be that way. Somebody sort of prayed this morning, and it was a good prayer as we were doing, beginning the worship about, you know, looking outside and seeing the, you know, the overcloud skies. Any of you looked outside and said, oh, I wish there was sun? A few people probably did. And, you know, we go, I wish there was sun, and that's true. We do wish there was sun, but, you know, what struck me so much was you look outside and I can't hear a gun go off. And nobody was killed tonight, last night. And there's peace in some form. And there's food. And there's friendships, and there's a place to come. And when you think like that, the sun shines. And if you don't think like that, it's overcast even when the sun shines. Have you learned that yet? What's on the inside that makes the difference? So last week we were talking about Peter, who's just, I wish he was here and I could interview him. <clears throat> It'd be such fun. And we'd probably be amazed at him. And you go, that's him? They used to say that about Saul, Paul as well, you know. Um, that's him? Because Paul was reputedly ugly, beaked nose, and nothing to look at. Unlike me. And so... <laughs> thank you for that vote of confidence and appreciation. If you don't have a good self-esteem, nobody else is going to give it to you. You've got to live from the inside out. Jesus loves me. God loves me. And... Anyway, anyway, this has got nothing to do with anything. Um, so, Peter, last week we were talking about how he came, uh, you know, he came with John after the resurrection and after the Holy Spirit had been poured out in the uh, upper room, how Peter had uh, walked up to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon to, to pray or to do something, worship God in some way. And he saw this, this beggar, this blind man, who was blind from birth, probably in his 30s. He wasn't a young man, I don't think. And he shouted out and said, I want some money. And he probably had done that for, for, for well, he had done that for years because in that part of the world, they put the kids out as soon as they're aware there's something wrong. They'll put them out as soon as they can because the parents want the money. And Peter and John stopped and Peter said, look at me. And he said, uh, I don't have any money. Silver and gold I don't have. Is this thing echoing? And silver and gold I don't have. Silver and gold I don't have. Silver and gold, I, uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And you know what? The guy, he, put, he reached out, touched the man. And it says power came into his, into his uh, ankles and legs. And he got up and he started dancing and praising God. And so... A lot of people became Christians 
around Peter because they saw a lot of things happening. And one of the reasons why so many of us are so tired or so despondent or so discouraged when it comes to following Jesus for a long time is because, quite honestly, we don't see it. Correct? We don't see enough of that. And God, and we say, God, why not? And he says, well, it's only because you won't let me. What do you mean you won't let me? He says, you won't let me. I believe in you. I know you believe in me. I read the Bible. I know you read the Bible. I see DVDs about how it happens. I know you do. But I want to work with you eye to eye. How does God, therefore, the question that I'm facing this morning is, how does God take Peter to a place where with confidence and absolute authority he says to a man in a public place, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And he's, he conducts himself so courageously and so confidently that people bring sick people. And when Peter walks by, his shadow cast on them heals them. I'll tell you something which is quite vulnerable, actually. I'm not sure I should say it. But I have a prophetic word over me that God's going to release healing through me so that that kind of thing will happen. And I'm telling you that because I can't believe it. So in case it happens, I wanted to record it publicly. But, I, but why I'm also saying it is that I know one thing, and that is that I'm not going to see that if I just stand here doing nothing. That is a word about what God would like to see and wants to release. But I have to walk into that. And that's really what I'm talking about this morning. What are you walking into? He said when you take the promised land, he'd given them this huge inheritance, and he said, take it. And he said, what did he say? One step at a time. What's the step that you're taking now? We live in this passive culture, which you, the fact that you read it and feel it is, is cool, but it's not enough. What steps are you taking? Where do you walk? This is a very, very, very encouraging word this morning. How does God take Peter from this place of powerful encounter, fullness and authority as if he were Jesus? And how does he transform within four years, not any longer than that, a man who could, he can't read or write, he's a fisherman, he cleans nets and he fishes in Galilee. He lives in Capernaum which is about, you could fit, on this property you could fit Capernaum in. I've been there. It's not big. The synagogue where Jesus worshipped and, and where Peter would have worshipped is a third of the size of this, not even that. How does God take a man with no credentials and transform him into that in four years? And then have him carry on for another 25 maybe years? and become a pillar of the church in, in, in the world. I mean, if he can do that with Peter, you think, you think he's challenged by you and me? What are you waiting for? What happened with Peter? Peter goes to this place where, if we look in that reading, he was asked three times if he knew Jesus. Peter and Jesus were tight. They, they were friends. 
Peter was absolutely sure that he was never going to abandon him. Jesus said to him, uh, he looked at Peter, because we're talking about looking. He looked at Peter and said, you will deny me three times. Before the co- you will deny me before the cock crows three times. And Peter said, no, 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 no. I'll die for you. They go out to Gethsemane. And Judas comes and gives Jesus a kiss of betrayal. And the, the soldiers come. And Peter is so outraged and says, I'll show you, Jesus. I will protect you. Pulls a sword and cuts off the ear of the guy who's going to take arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, enough of that. Heals the guy and pushes Peter aside. He says, it's not that way. If I wanted to be rescued, I could bring 72,000 angels into this little arena. These guys would be killed. Problem is, you wouldn't be saved. You don't understand what I'm doing, Peter, again. I am not dependent on your strength for what I need to accomplish. And so Peter follows Jesus in this procession of soldiers, a very tense night. And he stands in the courtyard, and these people ask if Peter is associated. He says, no. The cock crows, and Jesus just turns and looks. That's a look. And Peter just ran out and wept. What do you do when everything you've tried and everything that you've said you won't do, you do? What do you do when your best isn't good enough? When you've spent three years with God's Son, that'll beat most Bible studies. And when it comes to the crunch, you chicken out. And Peter's haunted by look of Jesus that just said I told you not a, not a condemning look just my friend I'll follow through what I promised so that you can find hope for what you couldn't fulfill with your went to the cross and only John and Mary and some of the women were at the cross the men were too scared and Peter went into depression and went down to fish again in his hometown. And that's where Jesus meets him again and calls him again. Right at the beginning, that's where Jesus had met him. And Jesus had uh, said to him, go out in front of everybody, go out and catch fish in a very public place in the, in the morning when you don't catch fish. And he told Peter, he asked Peter to do something. His name was Simon then. He asked Simon to do something that everything in Simon said, this is crazy. And apart from that, you don't even know how to fish. I know you're a carpenter from Nazareth. You speak with a different accent, and I know you, you don't have a clue about fishing. But there was something in the look that caused uh, Peter to say, all right, let's go out and humor him anyway. So... They went out to fish, expecting to catch nothing, and the nets were absolutely full, and they'd, caught, they'd fished all night, and there'd been nothing. And Simon Peter had nothing to say other than to fall in his boat amongst the fish and say, please leave me, because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus hadn't said anything about sin, but he just went, I don't get you. I'm terrified of you. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
I'll make you what you're not. And Peter had no understanding of what he was getting into. And if he had been told, Peter, in four years, you're going to be walking up the temple gates in Jerusalem and you're going to lay hands on a man and he's going to walk again. And he's never walked. Peter might have said, you're more nuts than I realized. How did he get from here to there? And Peter went through these different experiences with Jesus. I mean, he followed him day and night. The thing that we always talk about with Peter is that he, he, he always argued with Jesus. I mean, he was the one guy who, who said, yes, Jesus, but. And Jesus uh, would dialogue with him. Sometimes he would get a little short and said, get behind me, Satan, because you, you're pressing a trigger now that actually is quite tempting to me, and I don't want to deal with it. So I want you to stop. Get behind me. Peter was severely rebuked by Jesus sometimes. Another time they went up a mountain, uh, and Jesus, you know, Peter falls asleep. Every time he sort of came up to the parade, he screwed up. And he, fell he sort of was getting sleepy. And so Moses and Elijah appear. There's this miraculous transfiguration on the mountaintop. And Peter doesn't know what to do. So he says, you know, I'm a practical guy. Can I build you a shelter? And Jesus looks at him. And actually God the Father says, just keep quiet and listen to my son. Yeah, one of the times that God spoke. Because Peter doesn't realize you don't make shelters for people who are resurrected, like Moses and Elijah. And of course, some of them said, let's just stay up here in this beautiful experience because then we don't have to deal with anything on earth. And so they said, no, we're not staying here. This is a moment. But your, your mission is down there. So Peter had these glimpses of God's glory and Jesus, and he had these glimpses, and certainly huge glimpses of his own frailty. I mean, they were walking along one day. Jesus had just shared with them about how he was going to die and he was going to be crucified. The next breath, the disciples are thinking about who's going to replace him? Who's going to be the CEO now? Who's going to have the top job? And Jesus kind of has to rebuke them again and say, what are you talking about? And he goes on and on in this way. Peter sent out very, very soon after he's called with, tw with, with, with 12 others, to 11 others to go. And Jesus said, I give you authority. Go into the villages, announce my coming. The kingdom of God is near. And I want you to heal the sick and cast out demons. And they go and do that. And they come back pretty chuffed because they had an experience of God actually works. How does God take Peter from the fisherman in the boat to the man in the temple, to the man who's dancing next to him saying, he healed me with a sense of presence and humility where Peter says, don't look at me. It's Jesus who did this. The answer to the how did he do it is very, very simple. Peter just was remarkably good, and most of us aren't like Peter, so that's the answer. That's why they call him saint. I am now talking nonsense, by the way. The way Jesus led Peter from the fishing boat to the temple gates is the way he still leads and the way he still works. God so loved the world that he had a Bible study and prayed for the world to get better and sang worship songs and reveled in the glory of his Father. No, he didn't. God so loved the world that he sent his Son into the world, the Word made flesh. So what did God do with Peter? He placed him 
amongst a group of people. And he said, follow me day by day with those people around my son, Jesus, and I will transform you. And my brothers and sisters, God's methods haven't changed. He's very hands-on. The reason why most of us don't have a clue about laying hands on people, and we don't have any experience of them rising from the dead or seeing, is because we absolutely refuse to follow the way of Peter. We absolutely refuse it. He said, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. You pick and choose everything that you do when it comes to following Jesus. And so you haven't grown for years. You pick and choose when you're going to show up, when you're not going to show up, what's convenient. Jesus comes after whoever happens to call. Just cut me some slack here. But you know what I'm saying? I am speaking a word that's challenging. If you want to see Jesus and God work in your life like you've never seen him before, let him get hands on with you in a very practical way over six months, and I guarantee you transformation will take place that will accelerate something that has taken years. If you will humble yourself and stop writing the agenda and the script. And I know, I know a lot of people personally here. I could write your script for you. And you're going to think that's arrogant. I'm not arrogant at all. I'm just saying, oh God, oh God, please get this across. But with Peter, he had to live day by day with people by his side, whom he might have liked, whom he might not have liked, day by day, hands on. What does that mean? It means, we talked about it all day today. Don't rely on your feelings. You're going to have to step out even when you're uncomfortable and see what happens. That's why I say it's really easy. God is working in your situation right now if you will allow him to. He's given you the people around you that he's going to test you with and encourage you with if you will allow that, if you will have eyes to see. And he invites you and me to do something really simple. And he says, wherever you are, you have permission to question. You have permission to ask. You have permission to wrestle. But you set the pace of your growth by your engagement. And one of the things that any teacher who's worth anything, uh, the teacher doesn't merely say to the, the pupil what you want to learn. Because very often the pupil hasn't got a clue what to learn. The teacher sets the agenda and says, if I teach you these things, then these will be easier later. If you try and ter- uh, learn these things now, you will, you will miss this part. So many Christians are wanting, I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to actually do all that stuff. So they're going to conferences, they're listening to tapes, they're feeling feelings. But the character is still in the fishing boat with Peter. And the character is still whining. The character is still self-centered. The character is still grumpy. This character is still obsessed with themselves. And yet they want this part. So they only get to this part when they kind of somehow springboard off that into here with feelings and then go, I'm feeling the anointing. And God says, I am not going to anoint you. I love the people you're about to lay hands on and you're just going to mess them up. Occasionally he'll say, I love them enough to use you anyway, but that's not legitimizing your process. You with me? You have to build character. You have to come to terms with engagement. So as soon as you know God's hand is on us, and when it gets difficult, what do we do? I'm not going back. I blame them. So instead of stepping into being healing and salt in something, we just go to another church or we go to another group or you go to another group of friends, we just bail out. 
Anybody blaming anybody for your life now, right now? Anybody blaming for situations? I know maybe you'd rather me talk about Jesus meek and mild and he loves everybody. He does. But this is the way to grow. This is the way to see dynamic growth in your life. What does that mean? I need you and you need me. Trust God with the process and face your, your life day by day and see what happens. When you say, Jesus, we're in this day together. What are you going to teach me? How, how do you want to use me? And you'll be amazed. If you actually stop looking for escape clauses and bailouts and just say, I'm committed to this. Because God wants to work faster than we do. He wants to accelerate. He is desperately crying out for people who can go out and do the work of Jesus. But most of his people are talking about the work of Jesus and aren't good news to those who don't know Jesus. They're actually very irritating because their lives don't match up to their words. You encouraged? You know, you, you know why this is so encouraging? Because the only thing that's going to really rise up in you that's going to be wrestling with what I'm saying is your own flesh. You know that. Right? You're just going to get irritated with me. And I'm not trying to get, I'm not scared of that. I'm just saying that's what's going to rise up. But, 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 but. Just get, settle it once and for all. Your flesh has got issues. And your flesh has issues with Jesus. And because you can't see Jesus, and I say it, you can just blame me and say, well, John's got issues too anyway. Who does he think he is? Strutting up and down there saying what we should do. Look at his life. And I go, yeah, absolutely. Look at it. There's lots of grace on my life. But I've done what I'm asking you to do. So are, so are some of you. I'm not saying everybody's not doing it. I'm just saying be encouraged because that's how it works. That God is at work in you now more than you realize. And the more you realize it, the more you can celebrate your life where you are now in its incompleteness. Because you know what? It's never going to be complete. It's never going to be at the place where you go, I've arrived. If you've arrived, you've just, you've just settled into a pond that's as deep as you are. Good luck. It'll get stagnant and, and awfully smelly. You're never going to stop the growth process. It's a principle of growth. Just ask somebody who you know and trust. Say, well, if you were God, what would you be working on in me? Maybe. <laughs> and you know what? It could be cool. I think God needs to work on this in you. And if, what happens if I rise up and say, I agree. And I just want to ask him to help me do that. Because I want to be what he wants me to be. I don't necessarily always want that, but I do in my heart of hearts. So who cares? That's called freedom. It's freedom to embrace the brokenness in me and freedom to embrace the adventure that's coming and how Jesus is providing. It's called truth. A, in this next year, one of the things God's speaking, I think, really clearly to us about, you'll be glad to hear, is we're going to run programs for men and programs for women separately this year. Uh, the next 10, uh, 12, 15, 16 months are about calling men to rise up and be the men they were meant to be. And I'm not talking about cliched stuff, boo, 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 you know, me, man. Um, I'm talking about really rising up into stuff. And we're going to do stuff for men, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. But uh, this whole thing of men wimping out all the time, you know, is silly. It's unnecessary. And this guy called John Eldridge wrote a book called Wild at Heart, and there's an excerpt, and this is really what I'm talking about this morning. And I just want to read it to you. Um, he's, he's going, he, what he's doing is he's going to, um, 
he's, he's fly fishing or he's learning how to fly fish. So he said he went to Miracle Mile, which is a, one of the best places in Colorado on some river, and he started fishing and he didn't catch anything. Every time I looked up river, there was this guy, rod bent double, laughing and whooping as he brought yet another giant rainbow to his net. At first I envied him, then I began to hate him. Finally I chose humility and simply wanted to watch, watch him for a while, try to learn what he was doing. So I stood at a res respectful distance up the bank, not wanting to appear as an encroacher on his beloved spot and sat down to watch. So this guy was aware of him watching and then eventually called him over and says, uh, come on over here. He asked me how I was doing and I said, not good. Let me see your rig. I handed him my rod. Oh, well, first off, your leader isn't long enough. Before I could apologize for being a fishing idiot, he had taken out a pair of clippers and nipped my leader off completely. He then tied on a new leader with such speed and grace I was speechless. What flies you been using? These, I said sheepishly. Knowing already they were the wrong flies only because I figured everything I was doing was wrong. Graciously, he made no comment and he said, here, this time of the year you want to use these. And so uh, he said, come over here next to me. And he began to cast and show him how to do it. And just the end of this, uh, after about 10 minutes of coaching, he stepped out of the water to watch me, just as a father who's taught his son to hit a baseball steps back to watch. Let the boy take a few swings all by himself. I hooked a trout and landed it. He came back into the water to show me how to release it. I usually kiss mine on the forehead, superstition. He laid one on the brow of the large rainbow and released it into the cold water. Have fun, he said, and without looking back, he went down river about to the spot where I'd been fishing earlier and began to catch fish, fish there, one after another. I caught fish too, and while that made me happy, there was a deeper satisfaction in my soul as I stood in the river fishing well. Some primal need had just been touched and touched good. As I drove home, I knew the gift had been from God, that he had fathered me through this man. What I'm really saying to you is that God wants to father you into maturity and he will use those around you to do that and he will use you to do that to other people and I believe he says to each one of us you don't need to pray so much I just want you to walk with your brothers and sisters I want you to step into your life with me because the way I taught Peter was bringing him into a band of people with others with me and with others and through life, I hands-on taught him how to do this stuff. Hands-on. 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 How would you know where you were right now? Come up to the front. Speak for a minute about Jesus and minister to somebody. Every single one of you, come and do that one. What do you mean you can't do it? You've been sitting in the church for 25 years. One year. Within one year, Peter could pray for the sick and see people healed. And not rebuking you, don't hear me wrong. It's just, you have to chase after the hands-on. Why? Because in the chasing after the hands-on, do you know what happens? You come to that moment where you hear the, the rooster crow. And when you hear the rooster crow, you understand you can't do it. And when you understand you can't do it, there's only one place to go. You go back into what you know and you say, Jesus. And Jesus comes back to you in the place where you're most familiar. And he says, let's start again now. And I will be my, your strength. But I'm just asking you, do you love me? Because everything hinges on how much you know my love for you and you love me. In your heart, not your head. 
What's in your heart determines what you do. What's in your head very often sabotages what you do. It's time, brothers and sisters, to not be so spiritual, but to say, Father, here I am. To appreciate the people around me and begin to commit myself to walking with them so that I get hands-on. Because I think Peter had a lot of fun. Even though every now and again his ego had to be hammered. That's not the end of the world. It stands. God wants people with purpose, with passion, with persistence that live out their relationship with him, with other people in real time. So, Father, we just come before you and ask that you give us that kind of uh, heart and motivation that we might be those who want hands-on experience of you. And the way that you get hands-on experience of Jesus is when you walk with people and then you begin to give away what you have. And when you give away, you suddenly realize what you have. So the key is one step at a time. So right now is a step. In the next hour, well, there will be a step. Every time you think something and you act on it, that's a step. It's either going in a good direction or not a good direction. Every time you disengage in your head and do nothing, that's a step. Everything you do is a step. And you wear it on your heart and you wear it on your face and you wear it on your life. That's why Jesus says, take your steps and follow me. I'll lead you into life. Lord, we don't know the place where we are go you are going. Yes, I do. Follow me. So tell Jesus what you want to do. He's looking at you in the face right now like he looked at Peter. One time he looked at Peter and he challenged him. One time he looked at him and he called. One time he looked at him and he commanded him. One time he looked at him and he loved him and forgave him. It's the look. All of it's in love. Holy Spirit, will you just look? Some of you are not even looking. You're looking away. And then you're saying, why can't Jesus work? And he goes, you never pay attention. So we'll just have to come back another day. God the Father, through Jesus, he loves you, but he has stuff for you to respond to. Maybe you have to talk to somebody. Maybe you have to ask a question. Maybe you have to wrestle through something. He says, I'll be with you in every single thing. But the answer to your prayer is going to be found in somebody else with skin on them. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you just pour out your love right now and your purposes right now. You want to work in us as much as you wanted to work. Your love is profound for everyone here. Let's accelerate into life, shall we? We're going to break bread together, which is another visible, tangible sign of God's love and presence. He says, when you break this bread, when you drink this wine, do this in memory of me, so that you know that I'm faithful. I broke this bread and wine and drank wine with my disciples before they betrayed me, before they let me down. But I was faithful, and I followed through. I went to the cross, and I rose, and I came back to them. I didn't go to another 12 and say, the others blew it, so I'm not going back to them. I went back to the men and women who actually betrayed me, and I said, now let's start again, because what I'm doing is supernatural. You need help to receive it. You need help to experience it. You need help to know that it's true in a world that is so tangible and you think that's all there is. Teach you how to live from the kingdom. But we need one another to help us see the kingdom because it doesn't come naturally and then it comes supernaturally. And we wonder how we missed it. We need help. Otherwise, we just get angry. 
we feel left out or we feel alone or we feel useless. And the Lord says to some of you, you're standing in the river and the fish are all around you and the answers to your prayers are all around you and you're getting so frustrated. And he says, the only thing I'm asking is that you ask somebody for help and you will not ask for help. So you're just going to get cold in the river. So Lord, I pray that you just release among us a, a, a hunger and a, a thirst and a humility that just causes us to reach out to one another and to those beyond here for help. That we might grow up in Jesus and Jesus might grow in us.